Hello, everybody. Welcome to our next podcast at the Kusnot Practice. My name is Melissa Nobal. I'm a psychologist here. And today, our podcast topic is going to be on the most common questions that are asked about addiction. And our guest is Professor Wolf Rossler, who's a psychiatrist, a psychologist, and the chief medical officer here at the Kusnot Practice. Welcome, Professor. Hello. We're a treatment center based here in Zurich in Switzerland. You can see our website, www.kursnotpractice.ch. I'll start with this first question. What is the definition of an addiction and what are the different types of addictions? Okay, Melissa, I see you start with the difficult questions, right? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, at first, let me say that, um, I mean, the, the term addiction is quite common. I'm aware of that, though we don't use it so frequently anymore. We prefer to say either substance abuse, substance use, or substance use disorder, which is much more neutral and corresponds to that what is written in the classification systems. Well, this has to do that the term addiction is in a way stigmatized, as the whole field of addiction is is stigmatized. Maybe we can talk about it later, why this is so, that it is stigmatized. Uh, But it has a lot to do that um, the idea, the, the, the former ideas of addiction are highly associated with uh, the notion that it is associated with some weakness of your character uh, or something like that. So people do not like to be addicted, um, for sure. Um, But one of the additional reasons why they hate to be addicted is that they get additionally stigmatized because of their uh, illness or disease. Thank you very much for your answer on that question. The next one would be, what are the most common things that someone can become addicted to? And what are the least common forms of addiction that you've seen in in your practice, in your experience, or here at the Kusnot practice? Well, practically, you can get addicted to everything what's available in this world. You know? I mean, you know, one difference we make is concerns... um, substance-based addictions or uh, substance-free addictions. And it took a long time and a long way to discuss if substance-free addictions would be counted as addictions as well, let's say like gambling, um, which is the most common internet addiction or something like that. Everybody has heard these terms, but there has been among professionals a real tough discussion if this should be counted as addiction. But, I mean, it's clear that even the substance-free addictions like internet addiction fulfill the criteria of addiction. When we talk about addiction, it's very clear that you can develop withdrawal symptoms, more of the psychological withdrawal symptoms. But everything you experience when you when you get off a substance, a real substance, you know, you also can experience uh, from non-substance uh, addictions like internet or something like that. And how does someone know if they're addicted to something? Again, another difficult, good question. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> um, because um, 
well, life is not so easy to say um, I'm addicted or I'm not addicted. Well, I tend to say that when we look at addiction and where it starts, this is a continuum. And though we have clear criteria where we say this is um, addiction, you know, in reality, you know, it's a continuum and the borders are fuzzy to say. But um, it is clear um, uh, where, where the alarm clock starts. Um, it's quite easy, you know, if you narrow your interests, if you, um, if you use or abuse a substance in spite you experience negative consequences of what you're doing um, at work, at home, in your family, in your partnership and things. Um, these are the where addiction starts and what we usually call abuse. Um, and when it turns into um, addiction, it's clear when, when for example, you, you do need more of the substance to reach the same point you want to reach, you know. If you develop withdrawal symptoms once you don't use the substance, I mean, these are the most significant uh, symptoms where you can say, come on here, I do have a real problem. Okay. And, and what are the most common, if there are any at all, causes of addiction? Do we know that? Does research know that? Well, it depends a little bit when you consider through history what kind of models, uh, theories were developed around um, addiction. And for a long time, it was a moral question. It was a personality question. It was an environmental question. It was now we would say it's a genetic question. Uh, your genetic liability. Um, it's important. Today, uh, I think that the majority of all researchers in that field would say it's a chronic brain disease. But even if we favor this model today, um, I, I also would say all the other points I mentioned before uh, play a role as well. Sure, your, your, your genetic liability is important. It's very important. Um, your environment you live in is important. You know, it's your personality, which is important. So all plays together. And uh, the, the task is to, to find out, to, um, to disentangle um, the various parts why you became addicted, because then you also find the way possibly out of the addiction again. It's really interesting. Thank you for your answer. My next question was, why are people often um, quite secretive about the difficulties with addiction? Well, that's what I said before. I mean, because uh, among the laypersons, um, Addiction is um, thought as a weakness of your character. Mm -hmm. I mean, who wants to be weak character? Mm. No one really. And that's, that uh, makes a lot of sense. I think that's the most significant reason, though, I mean, people personally or subjectively do feel guilty because 
many of them have tried to stop their addiction, to stop using the substance in question, and uh, many have failed. So again, this is what people do themselves. You know, they stigmatize themselves and say, I'm a weak person. I can't stop using the substance, you know. But once you are really addicted, I mean, one must admit, it's hard, hard work to get off the substance. It's hard work, but is it possible to do that alone without professional help, in your opinion? Well, there are people who obviously do. Mm -hmm. um, and if you have not lost already everything, uh, you know, people try and literally do get off a substance. I mean, this is possible. Um, uh, probably you would be surprised where addictions problems um, show up the most. It's namely in emergency rooms, because this is where people uh, get admitted to. Because in some or the other way, uh, the substances lead to problems in your life. You get involved in accidents or things like that, you know. And this is uh, where, and this is a, a, a very good starting point for many people who experience some kind of negative events. They came in because of their addiction, because of their substance use, and can stop. And this leads me to another point, which is very important. Um, we do know it's not only the person, um, him or herself, who suffers from the addiction, who suffers almost equally are the families. You know, because there's so much around families who suffer from, from the negative consequences as much as the affected person, him or herself, does as well. What would be one of those negative consequences for the family? Well, the negative consequences are uh, the consequences the, the affected person, him or herself, experiences, namely, for example, losing his or her job. You know, this is quite common. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you get drunk um, um, and go back to work and you are drunk at work, you know, you get one warning, you get two warnings. Yeah. And after the third warning, you know, you get fired. You know, I mean, this is so common, you know, or you lose friend because um, using substances is quite often associated with losing control over your behavior. Mm -hmm. You know, you offend other people. Not everybody is forgiving every time. Um, so you lose friends. And if you, as an affected person, lose friends, the family loses friends, you know, things like that. So you get more and more isolated in your family. You know, you, you, you're losing the economic basis of your life, things like that. And not to talk about one thing which is very important, not rarely substance use is associated with domestic violence. These people quite, what I said before, lose control over their behavior. They get aggressive. Mm -hmm. And it does not really help that they feel extremely sorry yeah. after, you know, what happened has happened. And they need to take consequences. And by the way, this is quite often the reason why they come into treatment because they experience themselves. They say, I cannot move forward like this. It cannot 
stay like this any longer. That's very interesting. Thank you very much for your answer to that question and I know you experienced an insight on that. My next question and one of the last would be how how do we treat addiction here at the Kusna practice? Any form of addiction. Okay, there I mean there are um Official answers that we take uh, 360 view of a person, <laughs> you know, and things like that. And we offer comprehensive treatment. But the fact is, this is true. <laughs> <laughs> um, I say this because, uh, and what I said before, it's important to understand why a person became addicted. And obviously, many factors play a role why you become addicted. Um, it's also important in which kind of society you live, um, where substance use is illegal or even legal. You know, It's important to know how addictive the substances you use. Not all substances have the same addictive power, for example. It's important to know um, the, your genetic liability to substance use, which has to do with how the substances are metabolized uh, in your body and things like this. Um, and th this all plays a role. Your environment, your personality, um, your genetic liability, all this plays a real big role where once you are addicted. And once these roots are identified, you also are aware about the ways out of it, you know. So I think, I mean, treatment always starts with uh, withdrawal of uh, a substance. And to be very honest, this is the easiest part. Because you go through it, um, and for most substances, uh, the job is done within a few days. Um, not so quite with some medication, like if you are addicted to benzodiazepines or something like this, this might take longer to withdraw, you know. Um, but usually, like, let's take alcohol, it takes you three, four, five days, and then you are withdrawn, you know. And then the work starts. Yeah. The work starts because from then on, um, for the next week, the person struggles with the craving. And um, the whole treatment is about not only to withdraw the substance, but to replace it with something in your life. You know, the thing is that for many people, many addicted people, they cannot imagine to lead a life without this substance because their life would be empty. Yeah. And that's a problem. Yeah. yeah. And we don't want to leave our patients with a gray life behind. Now you're dry. Now you're free of substances. But joy of life is gone. You know, this is the work to do. And this implies, for example, also psychotherapy, and all kind of therapeutic approaches we are using here in Kusna practice, you know. And this will 
most likely, <coughs> excuse me, this most likely will lead you out of your addiction. But the work is not even done when your treatment at Christmas practice is finished. I mean, there are, there are models of addiction which postulate that um, once addicted, you are always addicted. You know, for example, the um, AA movement is based on the idea that even after 20 years, 30 years, you're still an addict. Yeah, you are still an addict. You never get rid of it. Well, I would not go that far. But it takes years for an addicted person to lose all these behavioral patterns which are associated with, with the substance. And it's not the, the physiological process. These are the behavioral psychological processes people are used to. I mean, this is what many people experience, for example, who smoke, which is a severe addiction, by the way. Not quite with the consequences of, of other addictions, but it is an addiction and nicotine is highly addictive. Very difficult to stop. Yes, extremely <laughs> difficult to stop. And what people make joke and say, it's very easy. I've tried it several times. Yeah. <laughs> you know? That's what yeah. people say because it's, it, it is really difficult to stop. And what's so difficult to stop is to stop these behavioral patterns, yeah. this to loosen these associations between a cup of coffee and a cigarette, yeah. for example, you know? Yeah. So it's only half the pleasure you get when you're used to it, to have a, a cigarette with your cup of coffee, you know? And that's the same with alcohol, for example, which is the most common, the most common uh, drug worldwide um, in use. Um, in, there is nothing to say, again, occasional use of alcohol, mm -hmm. you know, but for many people it gets very easily, quite soon out of control. And I might give you an example. For example, people with social anxiety, once they experience the, the wonderful effect of alcohol, that it relieves your anxiety, you know, they start drinking, drinking, before they are in contact or have a social contact. So because it gives them relief, they get rewarded because all of a sudden they are, they feel much easier, they can talk, they are not so shy anymore and things like this. It's a good example. So you see, it's not only about stopping drinking alcohol. If you have a social anxiety, you need to train and to overcome mainly by psychotherapy, to overcome your social anxiety. And I mean, I could give you endless examples for that, you know, uh, but it's always the same story. You, you have to loosen the patterns, you have to overcome the problems which are associated and why you are drinking, etc. And for example, it's not so easy not to drink in an environment where everybody is drinking. I mean, um, to my knowledge about in, in, in continental Europe, in most European countries, the, the rate of real abstinent people is about 20% of the population. 
And once you are in company of people, almost everybody drinks. And there's a social expectation almost. There's a social, they, mm -hmm. they urge you to drink, you know, they hardly can stand it. If there is one person in their group who does not drink. And I do know that people who do not drink, you know, find it extremely difficult to say, no, thank you, no, thank you, no, thank you. You know, it's hardly accepted, you know. So you see, these are the main problems associated with substance use. I mean, not to talk about, for example, about heroin, which leads you really in, in other places. Um, so you, you, you have specifically to look in each substance for itself. But comparably to alcohol today is the use of cocaine, for example, in, 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 in you know, certain circles of the society, you know, cocaine is used as alcohol, yeah. but potentially it's used both alcohol and, yeah, alcohol to, to calm you down, you know, cocaine to bring you up, you know, things like that. This is very common. I mean, the best I have to offer for addicted people is life can be wonderful without drugs. That's it. That's a really nice sentence to to add to, to end the interview. Thank you very much, Professor Wolf Rosler. It was a pleasure having you here, and I'm sure that the listeners have gotten very valuable information from this podcast. So thank you again for attending. You can reach us on our website, www.cursenotpractice.ch, and there's also a phone number you can call on the website if you wish to. Have a lovely day and thank you for listening.